because of this international uh, industrial tragedy, there is now an opportunity to have a serious dialogue, you know, about what's going on and how apparel is being made. Because the fast fashion is, it is, it is costly. Hi, I'm Raihan Salam, and this is the Vice Podcast. I'm joined today by Dove Charney, founder and CEO of American Apparel, one of the most innovative fashion retailers and brands in the United States, and also a major domestic manufacturer of apparel. Dove, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Dove, you've been in the clothing business for quite a long time. In fact, my understanding is that you started in it as a teenager. That's correct. So what brought you into it? What was so compelling about t-shirts? Well, I had a love for basic white t-shirts, Hanes underwear t-shirts, and uh, they were cotton. The t-shirts available in Canada were poly cotton. I started to bring in a few at a time, and I, I brought them so my friends could resell them in front of the Montreal Forum. They were bootleg t-shirts. So, so this I, was when I, sal- I was wholesaling the shirts. So you were a high school student in the United States, and you were just started buying them up. I was buying 50, 100 at a time, reselling yeah. them to my friends, smuggling them into Canada and trying to make a dollar a piece. And then I also worked with my friends to sell them. So I was, I was an employee of two of my friends. I was a street vendor. We'd get $50 each and we would sell the t-shirts. Of course, How they old were you when you started doing this? Oh, I think it was 15 we oh. were doing that. Yeah. Wait, so how were you getting back and forth across the border? I mean, were, did you have an older friend who was driving you or? No, Amtrak. <laughs> no, there's, you, you could go. There was used to be two trains a day that would leave New York. Now there's only one. There was the night train and there was the day train. So, I mean, how are you getting your studies done uh, while you were studies, doing this? Studies, uh, you know, I mean, studies, uh, studies was secondary to business. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we were, you know, we just, basically I was importing the t-shirts, reselling them, and, and then a few other people said, hey, can you get me some? And the business snowballed. It was a wholesale t-shirt business. There was a printer by the name of Bernie May on the corner of St. Lawrence and Sherbrooke in Montreal. He was a Harley Davidson dealer and he said, hey, can you get me a, can you get me a thousand of those? And then then another guy said, can you get me 5,000? And all of a sudden, you know, I had a a business where I was doing maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year. There was a time that American Apparel did. I remember it was first year was 12,000, next year was a hundred thousand. Eventually we had a hundred thousand dollar month. So then, okay, so you were doing this as a high schooler, you were making major amounts of money as a high schooler. Well, I wouldn't say that, but, but you know. Well, because you were spending a lot too, I guess, in the course of doing it. Well, you know, my books and records weren't the best. I think I was losing money when I thought I was making money. There was, there was a shoe, every year or two, there was a shoebox of receipts and I'd like toss it out the window on the highway, you know, start again. So, I mean, so I was trying to make money. So what Still am. <laughs> Yeah. Well, fortunately, it's not shoeboxes anymore, I, I hope. No. But so, so then what happened next? I mean, so then you kind of, uh, after high school, did you take some time out? Or did you, you know, w- in college, were you still selling? Were you still in the clothing business? Uh, this has been a continuous stream of consciousness for me since uh, I was 15 or 16 years old, every day. So one thing just naturally progressed from the other thing. It just... Uh... Yeah. I believed in a American iconic t-shirts. I was buying uh, job lots of Hanes t-shirts in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. I took the train there from Miami. And uh, I met this guy named Klaus Wustrow. And he was a German textile engineer that had come to the United States as a, as a kind of, in, uh, you know, an engineer. He really knew what he was doing. He says, you know, we can make, he told me we can make our own t-shirts. You know, here's how you do it. And then we took it to a knitter. We had it knitted up and then we took it to a, uh, fabric finisher, 
to get it bleached and finished. And then we took it to a place called 96 South Carolina. And we went over there and there was maybe 15 women and they sewed up the shirts in front of me and it took a couple of days. I remember the, the, the hotels I was staying at the time were like $20 a night. Uh, gas was maybe 75 cents That's a gallon. That's wild, yeah. Yeah, it was another time. Anyway, but in South Carolina at that time was like, in 1980, it felt like 1960. You know, <laughs> so, so um, but I, even then, the even then the domestic uh, garment manufacturing textile sector, you know, was already going through a big transition, right? I mean, when well, in the late in the early 90s, it was mm -hmm. just starting. So yeah, I yeah. witnessed I witnessed the collapse of the the uh, apparel and textile industry in yeah. North and South Carolina, and it was still pretty protected back then. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, I, it went. It, it took about till 1995 and 1996 before it was it was it was decimated. But during some sales visits to Los Angeles, because of the companies like Forever 21, Los An like it's, the Carolinas was being fueled by Hanes, Froulum, Gildan, just the commodity producers, right? The commodity yeah, yeah, T-shirts. But yeah. then in in California, where I was selling the garments, it became apparent that. Um, you know, th there was manufacturing going on there, but that manufacturing was more for boutiques like Forever 21. And that was the really old school proto version of fast fashion. I mean, they, they yes. were very trend driven and they're doing That's little right. things. Uh, That's and they're, right. They're, you know, they were much more flexible than the South Carolina guys. Right. T-shirts in South Carolina were like 60 cents. And when I came to LA, they were telling me $2. Everything was $2. But then I eventually showed, hey, I'm doing this in South Carolina and the wages are the same and I'm paying 60 cents. And I met a guy that said, okay, give me 10,000 pieces. I'll try and do it at the prevailing prices that, or more or less at the prevailing prices you're paying in South Carolina. And that guy eventually became my partner. And I started manufacturing in Los Angeles in the way that one would manufacture in South Carolina. Got it. So I was one of the... Just uh, the scale. The scale was a lot. Right, but the, yeah. the, the, the cutting equipment in the Carolinas was different than the cutting equipment that was being used in Los Angeles. I, the, the way they processed the textiles was different, and I kind of showed people, look, this is how I'm doing the Carolinas. You want to do it for me, do it like this. I had a $10 million business, so I had a big enough, I was a big enough a, a player to show people how I wanted to do it. And still today, there are many companies that adopted the manufacturing techniques that I brought with me from South Carolina. So I kind of infected some of the manufacturing tactics. When uh, you first got out to LA, when you were first setting up this factory, were a lot of your early employees, I mean, where were they coming from? How did you recruit these guys? Were there people uh, the peop uh, people who had already been seamstresses in the area, you know, that kind of thing? I mean, how did you find the employees? At first I was using subcontractors in South Carolina. I continued to do the same thing where I would basically buy the yarn, commission it, commission dye it, then contract cut and sell it. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, was, con I was vertically integrated subcontractor. We were under the 10 freeway on the Santa Fe exit. Got and it. some of those workers from that factory, from that first 60, work with us today. That's amazing. Right, we're, we're thousands of people, but there's some people you could see, they remind me, I was with you when we were in the <laughs> <laughs> Like they know, yeah. and I know, but no one else understands that we were under the freeway with one toilet, and you'd hear the trucks on there. It was crazy, you know, you'd be, it really felt like you were on a journey. The reason I started bringing manufacturing to Los Angeles was a lot of, the government was actually padlocking a lot of the small contractors that were left over because there was this, there was this effort to collect every tax dollar and some of them were falling behind on their yeah. payroll taxes because things were getting very competitive. Um, and Because they were losing a lot of contracts to Mexico and to the Caribbean and to, to eventually to China. So they were struggling along and the government just kicked them in the teeth and 
pad they used to padlock the factory, which was a big fear for me because yeah. I'd have all my merchandise in there. So one day on a Friday night, because there's a company called Cross Country Transport, where if you can get to Charlotte by 11:50, we can get your goods into LA by Monday morning. Okay, so so they you you'd have to you know we take our own vans there, load up the trucks, and yeah. then a caravan of eight or 10 trucks would go to, boom, they'd go down to Los Angeles. And the company that we're using in, Los, in, in South Carolina got padlocked or couldn't do it, or something yeah. went wrong. I think they got padlocked and said, put the fabric on that truck. And I said, Kevin, get over there, get it up there. Lo and behold, no one knew how to cut this fabric because it was flat folded. And in LA, they use rolls. Wow, so, so, so it was just really by the seat of your pants kind of thing. You were like, I just need right. to get this out of there because it's falling apart. And I was in panic. Yeah. I was in panic because I couldn't find a contractor. There was only one guy that really knew how to work with flat. He had an old machine to do it. He had like, a, you know, he had a flat fold spreader and it was my partner, the guy that eventually became my partner because I had to get this order out because yeah. of the deadline. Yeah, so, so when did it start being kind of a contrarian move for you to want to stick your production, uh, keep your production in the United States, in Los Angeles? Like around what year did you start seeing that the other folks who were doing the same thing, they started falling away and that you were the... The mid-90s. Yeah. Because it's still that time everybody's rolling to Mexico. We're going to make the fabric here. We're going to cut it over there. We're going to bring it back. It was like that. I am a little bit of a, a control freak. You know, I wanted a certain quality. What made American Apparel happen was our t-shirts were a little bit better than the standard stuff. And even though I was double the price, I was like, okay. And that's, it was through being a little bit ahead, having a little bit of taste, a little bit of foresight. Because I had what they want, I could charge more so. It's like every, you know, and when it comes to t-shirts, okay, so the Hanes t-shirt is two bucks and the American Apparel t-shirt was 350, but for a buck 50 difference, if I'm at a concert, and I sell 100 of these and 10 of these, well, this is cheaper because right. I'm getting, my revenue is so much better on, on the American Apparel product. So that's how we did it, by, by exploiting uh, 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 art, basically. So it, began, <laughs> so it began by being, look, this is how I'm making my money. I'm making my money by offering a better product. I better be sure it's a better product. I want the control, and that's why I want to be where it's being manufactured. Precisely. Yeah. So it wasn't about, people weren't that interested in Made in USA. I mean, there was some interest in it, but it wasn't that interesting because there were some people that were from the, were of the ilk that doesn't matter where it's made, I want the best value, caveat emptor. I want good price for the customer. But I think I provided that first. It was a good deal. Like, yeah, it's more expensive, but it's better and here's why. Yeah. But you know now, uh, one of the things you're thinking about and you've been talking about is just about these larger issues, these larger issues uh, surrounding the economics of the business and what have you. So, I mean, is your, and also you said before, you're an adamant, ardent free trader. You know, you're, yes. not, you're not looking to kind of uh, throw up tariff barriers or anything like that. Uh, you seem totally comfortable with the idea of, you know, other countries manufacturing garments yes. and what have you. But so am I right in saying that what you're saying is that, look, you know, it's fine to do it elsewhere. It happens to be better to do it here. Is that kind of what you're? Well, it's not about here or there. Okay, got it. Okay, what's important is that I believe in bringing the worker into the company. That's the first thing, okay? Knowing the face of the worker. We're not relentlessly pursuing cheap wages in order to get the product made, okay? And that's interesting, that's interesting, but we're still relentlessly pursuing everything else to make sure we're offering the customer value. Because I don't think we're going to guilt trip the customer into buying our product. So basically, you know, you're not saying that made in the USA is going to make someone pay, you know, 
two or three dollars more for a t-shirt. You were saying that you know, for you as a company, the higher wages, you know, that actually disciplines you and that actually makes you a better company in other regards? Well, it's like an art project where you're told, okay, you can't, you know, sometimes you're given a piece of charcoal and you have to build, you know, to, to, to design a colorful landscape with a, with a black piece of charcoal, but it's possible to give people that feeling. If we're gonna sell clothes, we gotta give them a reason to wanna buy. We have to play up to, it's, it's a good quality, it's gonna make you feel good, it's, you know, it, it's well draped, it's well cut, it's, it's a good product, it's, it's gonna last a little bit longer. You know, so we have to play up to that, this kind of, you know, the mystique. That, this you know, is one <laughs> thing I wanna actually ask you about, and this is one thing that I find fascinating. So when you look, you know, 30 years ago to today, um, if you want a college education, it costs far more, like something five or six times more. If you want to stay a night in a hospital, it costs five or six times more. Uh, clothing is much, much cheaper, and it's enabled yeah. a revolution in self-expression. You think yeah. about someone growing up in 1980, uh, you know, maybe you had a pair of corduroy pants, you had a pair of jeans, you had you know, kind of a future, something yeah. like that. You, but now, just, it's, an explosion, and it's actually—it seems to have actually changed the texture of our lives. Yeah. So, but in a way, you know, when you think about it, well, part of that's manufacturing in Mexico, part of that's manufacturing in China and yeah. Bangladesh and yeah. Vietnam and Cambodia. The, that's enabled this kind of freedom. Yeah, this fast fashion is kind of crass and cheap. <laughs> okay, number one, I'll say that. Number two, it's on the backs of other people. I was uh, having a discussion with someone earlier today. And I saw a bus go by with, you know, a, a guy and a girl it was an H and M ad. They looked like they looked very. He looked very handsome, and she looked very lovely. And uh, the bus was going by. But the problem is, the stuff. You know, it's sexy. It looks sexy. It feels sexy. But it's made in a place. It's basically stolen goods. Hot. They're hot goods. When you buy a brand new TV set and it's stolen, it doesn't feel quite right. You know. It's but, not. It's not right. But, so, but there's another issue here. So you know, Bangladesh is a country where you know, and this has obviously been the big controversy because mm -hmm. of the, the the factory having collapsed. Mm -hmm. You know, over a thousand people have died. I mean, it's obviously mm -hmm. a massive mm -hmm. human tragedy. On the other hand, when you look at Bangladesh from the 70s, when the whole garment manufacturing trade got started there, to now. You know, the level of poverty has gone from 70% to 40%. You've got three and a half million people working in the garment manufacturing mm -hmm. sector. Average incomes have gone from about a dollar a day to $5 a day. And a lot of that's driven by the garment manufacturing stuff. So, I mean, I definitely see what you mean. You know, these are wages, these are labor standards that we would obviously consider totally unacceptable in the United States. On the other hand, you know, when you go to Cambodia, Vietnam, Bangladesh, mm -hmm. these countries, it does seem like the fact that, you know, we have fast fashion, we have this stuff here. It does seem to have actually driven some progress there too. Yeah, that's the upside. But the thing is, is that when we come to grips with, I think a lot of people don't understand what sweatshops are. I've tried to explain it to people. I've been in and out of sweatshops all my life. There are sweatshops in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm familiar with them, I can tell you. We can go look at them tomorrow if you want yeah. to fly there tonight. But, but, and there are certainly sweatshops in Mexico. I've been in them and I've been in and out of them. And I've been in, I've been in sweatshops all over the world. But I'll tell you one thing that if, if it's a sexy piece coming out of a sweatshop, there's a reputational risk, and it just doesn't feel good. No one wants, you know, you don't want a sexy pair of underwear, you know, or lingerie to be made in a slave-like setting. So that's one of the downsides over time of using sweatshops, but there's also an economic thing is that sweat, it's not, there's not gonna be cheap labor forever. The world will, the world wages will harmonize as we globalize the economy, as there's a free flow of money, as we eventually liberalize the movement of people, okay? You know, the invisible hand will create a scenario whereby we may not have these cheaper wages in Bangladesh. So in the long term, 
What's really smart is to that's the very, very, very long term, though, right? Right. I mean, I think that, and, and it's funny because what right. you're saying partly. Do you think that clothing will be made by hand in a hundred years? Uh, no. Me neither. I mean, some of it will be, yeah. but it, you know, there's going to be machines. A guy sent me a video of an idea he had. He's been, you know, he's got money from the New York Department of Energy. There's this machine where the, like, the fabric rolls in this thing and it bonds the t-shirt. The t-shirt drops to the ground and another machine puts it over here. I mean, it's not going to be forever. It's not, even though we yeah. pay workers $30,000 a year, and so, not all workers, but many of them are, you know, experienced workers yeah. are into the, to the wage levels like that. And if you have two partners that are living together, it's a household income of $60,000 and they're working in America probably, you know, $60,000 can get you to places in Los Angeles get you a fair apartment, a car, internet, etc. Right? We're paying a fair wage, but it's still hard labor. Now, I make a, I, I, I make a good wage. You could pay me my salary, I wouldn't sell t-shirts. It's not a fun thing to do. Yeah. Okay? Pay a fair wage, we're committed to that, and there's a lot of smiles at American Apparel, and I love my workers, but it's not something I think that will be done for the next 100 years. Okay? No, you're just sitting there on a machine. The reason yeah. we haven't automated the apparel industry is because we always have cheaper labor, so it doesn't pay. There was a company called Atlanta Attachment that used to come up with all these automated devices. Yeah. We still use their devices at American Apparel. They've gotten out of the racket because a lot of this automation just, just Get cheap, go to Bangladesh, you don't need it, it is. It is a fascinating <laughs> issue. I mean, you see it, you know, when people talk about, for example, agricultural labor. I mean, to some degree, well, if the wages were sufficiently high, we'd find machines to do it. But yeah, I mean, to some extent, it is just a matter of if you have cheap labor available, you'll use it instead of more expensive labor. But I mean, I wonder, so it seems that on one level, you're saying that, look, it's actually a reputational risk. It's a brand risk There's issue. There's some of that. But I also wonder, I mean, so one argument for higher wages is the Henry Ford argument, right? The Henry Ford argument that, you know, to some extent, you know, these are the folks who are buying the products as well, uh, and, you know, kind of we want to pay them higher wages, also because they're going to be more efficient, they're going to be more productive, there's going to be less turnover if we pay people higher wages. Is that, is that okay, part of the Okay, that's a marble on my side. Yeah. Okay? The Henry Ford argument. Then the reputational one's a marble on my side. Yeah. Okay. Do you find that that's actually true? I mean, do you find that uh, you know, course, kind of by paying a little get, bit more, you you get less turnover? And of that course, actually, yeah. of course. You you get the right people in, you train them, you keep them, you retain them. They become really good at making belts and t-shirts and shoes. So I mean, when in your factory, I mean, are folks over? You know, if they're working there for three, four, five, six years, are they moving up the ladder? I mean, so yeah. I mean, that, I have yeah. a guy that was with me when we had two hundred workers, and now he runs the factory. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I remember he was on a sewing machine. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, he runs around, like, everybody's chasing this guy. Aramis, can you help me do this? Right. <laughs> you know, but he would, you know, there is a ladder of opportunity in the apparel industry. There's a ladder of opportunity in our building. Ten years ago, I don't want, I used to say, American Apparel supports an international minimum wage. I could provide that to you. We don't, ten years ago. At times, we backed off the sweatshop free thing because we didn't want to, like, we didn't want to drown people with it because we still we had a, we thought we had a great enough product that it could stand on its own. I must say that one rarely should should say positive things about one's own team, but we really did build something important and different in Los Angeles, and we deserve more credit than we've gotten. The way we're going to prove it is to make this business as profitable as the very best apparel companies that are paying almost nothing. 
Uh, some people would say, I mean, this is a historical process. I mean, if you were in the Lower East Side, you know, in 1905, okay? Yeah. I mean, you know, you had uh, garment manufacturing that was going on down there that yeah. did not look pretty. Yeah. Uh, and that, but that was an essential step. And then basically, you know, 20, 30 years later, you had those guys who were in the Lower East Side moving out to Brooklyn and Queens, buying a single family house, climbing the ladder, their yeah. kids are accountants. Yeah, my, you know, Bobby, that's the way it works. my Bobby was a garment, uh, garment worker. Yeah. She made $7 a week. So then I guess part of the argument is that, look, you know, maybe what we're seeing in Cambodia, Vietnam, Bangladesh, yeah. these countries is they're just at that stage of the historical process. Right. And we've got to let that happen. And we've got to, you know, and that in a way, by short circuiting that process and saying that, you know, by saying to Bubby, you know, in 1905, sorry, this isn't acceptable, you know, because we think that this is uh, slavery. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that this is unacceptable and we're not going to let you do this. You know, I mean, you know, in a way, uh, you know, maybe you're short circuiting this process through which the Cambodians of the world are slowly going to climb that ladder. You know, you can't have them all do it at once. You know, you're going to have to have the different wages, the different standards. Do you buy that argument? Do you think that I that's... buy that argument to a degree, but I think that, you know, the, the, these corporations like H&M is a $22 billion corporation. They've amassed an enormous amount of wealth. They don't have to have their hands dirty to the extent that they do. The number one thing that these companies... I do private label manufacturing for other companies. I've done jobs for Levi's. I've, done jobs for JCPenney, I've done, I, I've, I've done third party work. Let me tell you the biggest problem in the, in the apparel industry is that there's all the contracts are short term. That's one of the things that keep sweatshops, sweatshops is they never can invest in the equipment. They can't make the long term investment. You know, that's exactly what the Bangladeshi garment manufacturers are saying. They're saying that you're giving us a hard time for this, but you know, we have these tiny margins and they we do. get massively punished if we don't turn something they do. in They do, let me tell yeah. you what they're dealing with because I've been, a Bangladeshi uh, third-party garment contractor to a degree. Are you making garments for, 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 for Levi's, et cetera? There's a deadline. You miss that deadline. Take the goods, they're yours, and if you sell them, we'll sue you, okay? Yeah. So you basically have, you know, especially if they're printed with the swoosh, you're not going anywhere, okay? You, you sell that anywhere, we're gonna take your children and they will be punished, okay? And we will not pay you anything, yeah. okay? So you could be sure they were hot, they were hustling everybody back in the building because of deadlines. Now, if these garment manufacturers are serious, I'll challenge them to the following. Put a clause in their or on all of their purchase orders and their letters of credit. It will completely destabilize the financial system, by the way, okay? Because no one will know what's going on. That if there's a, if there's a human hardship involved with this particular order, of gloves or this particular order of leggings or whatever that if, if you have to be late because of, of a human hardship call up this 1-800 number from Bangladesh 1-800 Bangladesh help okay and we'll put you on the phone with H&M and we'll review the cir human circumstances of the situation and get you an extension yeah all of a sudden the cost of fast fashion is going up because you know what the bathing suits didn't show up on May 15th. They came in September 15th because there was a building that was about to collapse. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you're stuck, you know what I mean? H&M's going to be stuck with all these bathing suits that they'll have to sell next year or they'll have to get rid so of So you now year. have a coalition of retailers, and it's been a lot of the big European retailers who signed mm -hmm. up, and the Americans yeah. have been more reluctant to do so. But we're saying that, okay, we're going to agree to a code uh, uh, on safety and building safety and, and fire safety. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're saying that, you know, we're going to spend up to half a million dollars to upgrade these factories. Half a million dollars! Well, they're, they're claim that's what they're claiming. So It's I mean, going to require billions. Half a billion dollars would it cost me to paint my factory. Okay, <laughs> I don't know where they come up with half, just half a, a half half, million. Yeah, they're saying up to half a million dollars for uh, upgrades, you know, kind of for, for different facilities. Look, 
these clowns have to give, they have to give provisions for extensions. When you listen to some of the media, some of the interviews, they, if there were, when there were labor disputes, why do you think they're going and shooting people in the head if there's labor stoppages? Because they're gonna get stuck with the goods. You know yeah. what it is to get stuck with the goods? I've been in that circumstance. Well, actually, and that's part of I, I'm gonna tell you, I had, I had, I've had, I've faced financial disaster when, I, when I've had these cancellations. Cancellations for, I had an order that I was doing for Target many years ago. I was, it, I, I was paralyzed. It, it almost crushed me. Is this the you responsibility know? of the consumers then? I mean, should the consumers actually be stepping up and saying that, you know what, uh, I, you know, I, I try to eat uh, organic local produce. Uh, I now want to be sure that my clothing does not entail these kinds of draconian requirements. You know, I mean, is that, should it be done by the consumers? You know what? It seems to me that the real the people want. that have to get the job done, it's, a, it's, it's about the business leaders at my competitors. I call upon them to, 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 to do exactly what it said. They'll, if they do it, they're men, but they're mice. The thing is, you have to be able to tell, the, see, I deliver to myself, so if I'm late, no one notices. It just, we realize, oh my God, we just got the bathing suits in. Late deliveries, <laughs> cost overruns, we bear the brunt of that when we just hurt ourselves. But they've put such strong delivery dates on these suppliers that if these suppliers are late, they're going to get hung, they're out of business. So if it's a choice between putting people in a dangerous building, back in the building, or crushing a union versus going bankrupt, they're going, they're going towards crushing a union or taking some risks with health and safety. So, but you don't think that con the consumers are the ones who have to drive this change? Because you know, well, I, th I think that there can be now, because of this international uh, industrial tragedy, there is now an opportunity to have a serious dialogue you know, about what's going on and how apparel is being made. Because the fast fashion, is, it, is, it is costly. When you see these buses rolling by or these signs that say, bikini, $4.99. I'm telling you, I'm an expert in the apparel industry. $4.99 doesn't exist unless you're screwing someone. That's it, okay? A $4.99 bikini, wake up. Okay, that's like saying, hey, I got a hamburger for 10 cents. I mean, just, you know, I got it. It costs money to make this. So. Is, there, is there some middle way? Here's what I want to throw out. So, I mean, if you believe that the fact that, you know, garment manufacturing is happening in the developing world, this is something that is actually a sign of human progress. It's helping some of these countries get ahead. It's helping right. alleviate poverty in these societies. Is there some way to say, okay, you know, we, uh, you know, pay a little bit more for your T-shirt. You, you know, know why doesn't H&M actually... say, we'll pay 100 bucks a month, not, you know, we'll pay 200 a month. What about 50 bucks a week? Can H&M afford $50 a week? They shouldn't be making clothing. If they can't pay $50 a week, they'll make clothes. 50 bucks a week, $10 a day, five days a week. We're gonna make sure that anybody making our clothes, H&M, what's the minimum wage in Stockholm? Mm -hmm. All right, why don't they give the minimum wage, the, the, these guys, okay? Talk, yeah. talk, 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 talk in Stockholm about all this socialism. It's about me, 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 me. All the workers' rights for, you know, it's all for Sweden, you know? But, but we'll import everything else, right? Yeah. It's a form of apartheid in many, many, of, these, many, of, this, many of these socialist you know, countries with very high wages, they secretly are doing it on the back of They want to say, look, whatever the hourly minimum wage is in Sweden, we're gonna offer that as a daily minimum wage to the workers in Bangladesh. Although one, look, that, let's see if they're willing to well, do that. One issue is that the productivity uh, you know, of an hourly worker in Sweden has got to be so much higher than the productivity of an hourly yeah, worker in Yeah, I'd like to see a Swede make a t-shirt. 
Okay, we'll see. <laughs> you know, we'll see. But let's put, that's not really acting. That's, yeah. that's a lot of talk. Okay. <laughs> We're going to pay 15 bucks. A day. Let's go to the U.S. minimum wage. Yeah. Okay. The minimum wage. We're going to pay, you know, $8 an hour is a California minimum wage. We'll pay $8 an hour in Bangladesh. We got a $22 billion company. We'll lead the way. No, they won't do it because they're paying 40 bucks but, you know, a I mean, month. Well, but that would be, I mean, so, okay. They're so paying right 10 now, bucks a week. They're the, paying $2 the, the a minimum there, The minimum there is, it's the minimum <laughs> there, bucks, I believe, come on, I don't, I believe I, it was $40 a month and now they're going to raise it. But the thing is well, that- Well, they're going to raise it to $46. I mean, it's $2 a, it's going to go to $3. What's $3 a day? 20 to, But look, yeah. the reason, but the reason why the hourly wage is a lot higher than the United States is also because of you have the capital, right? I mean, you have the machine, you have the tools and whatever. It's not necessarily these guys are these guys are making some of the richest men in Europe are the men that own these companies yeah. that have founded these companies. These are not. This is not a guy like me. You know, I I can try. I, I'm willing. If you want, I'll put all of my bank statements on your show. You can put them up. Let's see if the guy from H and M, the founders of H and M, or the people that are backing H and M, are willing to show disclose their their what they're earning. Show their tax returns. Okay. Show what show what what they got tucked away in their Swiss accounts. Okay. These guys are making too much bloody money to not be able to pay. A single out the minimum hourly wage is a daily wage in in Sweden. Okay, but if I'm H and M in 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 Bangladesh, if I'm H and M and I make that move, okay, and if I yeah. decide that I'm going to pay the higher wages, yeah. uh, then you know Inditex and Zara comes along and says, well, we're not going to do it, right? And then they just or what happens it. if they're forced to do it? What happens if then they're what happens if they're like left out in the cold looking like they're the ones with the apartheid oranges? Oh, well, but okay, but here's <laughs> the thing, okay? But if you're saying- I mean, that, eventually yeah. no one wanted to buy Ootsman oranges in, in, in London and Montreal and Toronto. They didn't have Ootsman oranges in the States, but we had citrus from South Africa was like, no, no way. Because we just decided that uh, apartheid was just too ugly. And eventually so people would yeah. not eat Ootsman oranges. My mother, when she saw my grandmother had bought Ootsman oranges, eventually it's like, throw them out. Okay, but here's the thing. Okay, so the thing is that if you're imposing Swedish wages, you know. Sweet, I'm saying only one. Take the hour okay. for the day. No, 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 fair enough, fair enough. But if you have a big, big increase in wages before, you know, Cambodia or Bangladesh gets to that point where they're sufficiently productive, yeah. right, then that's just going to mean you're going to go from having 3.8 million garment workers to having you know, well, what if they? Right? What if it starts pushing? What if they start, you know, running into some? What if there's a movement to set a like a, 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 an international minimum wage for clothing workers? That's what we really need. I have a minimum wage. My yeah. minimum wage. Okay, take a look at the bear on the flag. California, they set the wages at American Apparel. Yeah. Okay, Sacramento, thank you very much. Okay, <laughs> that's it. Those are my minimum wages. I live by them and I still make money, okay? I have positive cash flow. We intend to make 47 to $52 million of EBITDA this year. We put out a guidance, that's our guidance. We're gonna generate about $50 million of positive cash flow in American Apparel, okay? But we are paying the wage by the bear. Why don't they set a minimum wage for themselves? Some of these major, they're talking about signing something. Sign something that has teeth, real money. We need to fix the toilets. Yeah. We, you know, are you gonna make sure the building doesn't come down? Like, God, that's the, that's the only thing. <laughs> Pay. 
But I mean, here's the thing is that, okay, if Where's you do that, if you do kind of raise that, let's say you set this international minimum wage, so I mean, one concern then is that you're gonna have a situation in which the Indonesias, the Chinas are gonna be winning out at the expense of the Cambodias and the Bangladeshis, that right? Really the countries, but, but either the countries China's are the less on the run. I am, I am an employer in China. Yeah. Okay? But let me tell you what's going on in China. The wages are like, yeah, they're, they're going changing up a lot. every yeah. month. Yeah. Every month you gotta absolutely. pay a little bit more. But absolutely, but China's in fight. But that's what okay. I mean. They what I mean is that, what, what I mean is that you're gonna have a situation in which you have the, the countries in the developing world that are the most productive. You know, they're gonna be picking up the ladder, right? And then leaving the countries that are not productive behind. Yeah, but we have, it's nothing wrong. I'm not, I'm only saying. Yeah. Let's get in. What is it? I just called upon $2 an hour. Yeah. If they can't pay $2 an hour, $3 an hour, whatever it is, get the hell out of business. I mean, if you're so, if you're, if, or re-engineer that you're saying, oh, well maybe, maybe it may destabilize. Well, you know, well, if we like, didn't have minimum wages in the United States, I mean, wouldn't have all the jobs rent in Detroit, you know, with they're well, at 25% well, but, 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 of. But the one thing about, you know, okay. The, so There's the, nothing wrong with a little safety net. You well, know but we, I mean? Especially if it's industry imposed by themselves, by the very richest of companies. I, I think, the, look, I think the case for a safety net is very strong, but part of the issue is that, you know, you see wages rise as productivity rises in a society, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And society is rising partly because you have an accumulation. You have a, an accumulation of human capital, you have an accumulation right, of infrastructure. Right now, and all if you this. go up to, if you say we're gonna make, we're not gonna work with factories that don't pay at least two to three dollars an hour. Two, you set a number. I don't yeah. know. I don't want to set it on this on yeah. this show, but let's say two or let's call it three dollars, two dollars as yeah. a start, and then you raise it incrementally. I mean, I don't think that will change the the ebbs and flows of how everything happens in this industry. I don't think suddenly people are going to be leaving Bangladesh and going back to China. Well, let me don't throw think out, so. Let me throw out a possibility. Okay, so what if because the reason they're in okay. Bangladesh isn't just for the price; it's for scale. Okay, I can make t-shirts, you know, it's about, it's for scale. That's why Bangladesh is now the second largest producer of clothes. And by the way, Bangladesh has got it. And where is it? Oh, maybe if, yeah. I mean, I understand maybe they don't get the Sub-Saharan Africa now, you know what I'm saying? But maybe Sub-Saharan Africa does something better anyway. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing that I have a trouble, because I think I'm very, a lot of what you're saying, I think makes a lot of sense. I think that my concern is- Okay, do you is, condone slavery? Absolutely not. Okay, then you have to support what I'm saying. I mean, there's, I mean. Well, but here's the thing though. I, I mean, it, I mean so, come on, you're gonna, I'm, tell, I'm not telling you it has to be 50 yeah. bucks an hour. I'm not saying it's gotta yeah. be seven bucks an hour. Yeah. I'm saying $2 an hour. They're not even paying these people, let's say, it's, they say $40, they said $40 a month, right? Yeah. And how many hours does a man work? 160 if they're working 40 hours yeah. a week, but we oh, think where they're working well, the, more. What I, How much is the, like, let's just 20 cents an hour. 20, 20 cents 20, an, hour. an hour? Yeah, 21 cents 20 an hour. 20 cents an hour is slavery. Well. <laughs> okay, but here, and so you're talking, in Bangladesh, you're talking about a country with 150 million people, okay? Yeah. And you're talking about people who are going from subsistence agriculture, right? Which they're, might be higher wages if well, you well, think no, about no, what they're, they might be going they home they with a bushel so. of corn no, that's worth they don't, more. They don't think so. They don't think so. I mean, that's why they're going to the cities. That's why they're streaming into the cities. You know, you see this happening in Africa. You see this happening in, you see this happening all over the place. I mean, they're, and also, you know, it's similar. You know what? H&M could afford to pay two bucks an hour. Okay. So let's say H&M. You know? okay. And then, so maybe they're not going to have, it's not going to say four ninety nine, and maybe their EBITDA margins. Okay. Maybe their net profits, their shareholders yeah. are going to start to, you know, show a little bit of strain, but you know, they can advertise harder, they can design better. You know, let's see if Forever 21, you know, you take H&M, Forever 21, Primark, you take all these discount retailers, 
and you say, hey, guys, can you afford a $2 per hour wage? If you can't. Dove, let's say, okay, I buy this. Okay, so let's let's say, just for argument's sake, yeah. that uh, I'm a consumer uh, in New York, LA, Stockholm, whatever, and I believe that you know I'm not comfortable with what H&M's doing, so H&M, they have to pay this higher wage. Then you've got some company, a startup, company yeah. in Cambodia, yeah, okay? Yeah. And the Cambodian company says, okay, you know, H&M isn't gonna exploit us. We Cambodians are gonna make our own clothes. We're gonna pay the yeah, you know, local prevailing wage. Yeah, but they won't have the seal, you know, the seal. Yeah. With it. They'll yeah, be exactly. like a little exactly. heart or exactly. something. Exactly, but then they You know what I mean? They don't have that little heart yeah. on okay. the label, though. Okay, know? but then, you know, but would that be okay with you if then it's, it's not H&M, it's not the Swedes coming yeah, in and exploiting probably people? Yeah, probably a bogus startup out of Cambodia coming to sell clothing in the United States and doing their own retailing? Yeah, I mean, but would hey, you be okay with that? Because at least, going, because at least that's the Swedes coming and exploiting the Cambodians. Let me tell you what's, go the Cambodians let me tell you what's going on in okay. retail. New York City is a shopping mall. Independent yeah. retail is being set aside. Yeah. Okay, each lease is controlled. But Chipotle, next door we have we have a Dwayne Reed and a Basad over yeah. here. We're thinking you American Pearl could come in over here. You have an H&M over here. I mean, come on, it's being okay. colonized, okay, by these massive multi-billion dollar companies that they can't afford to pay $2 an hour, shame on them, that's the thing. But if you have a Cambodian company in Cambodia that's talking about that for assembly only, I'm not even talking about yeah. textiles, okay? I'm just talking about the assembly of the apparel product. But you, you get what I'm, where I'm coming from. So if it's the Cambodian, you know, forget about the Swedes exploiting Cambodians. The Cambodians deciding, you know, this is the wage we can afford to pay. We're gonna try to make it big. We're gonna try to sell and stuff. Because, you know, you said yourself, you're not a big fan of borders, right? So, I mean, you know, it's not about something I, I think in from they can handle it. You think they can yeah, handle it? Because yeah, because the amount of money that they yeah. have, they control the real estate. Okay? It's not easy to just waltz in and open all these stores. Yeah, I'm just, they control yeah. the supply chain. They control the yeah. distribution centers. They have, they, they control the shipping companies, okay? I know it, I control, like JetBlue Airways, yeah. okay? The air freight from LA to New York, I control yeah. that lane as best I can, okay? No one's muscling in on my <laughs> spot. I gotta get the stuff out of Los Angeles into the streets of New York seven days a week. If there's a disruption to that, Delivery flow. I'm I, I'm I'm ballistic at 9:30 in the morning. Okay. Here, <laughs> I mean, so be, the H&M controls various aspects of the apparel industry. So, okay. The way that I think about globalization sometimes is this: you have a world in which some countries exist in the year 2013, and you've got some countries that are in 1920. Some that are in 1950, some that are in 1800. Okay. And some that are in 2020. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So you know, and the thing is that. You know, when you have these countries that are in 1850, to say to them, we want you to operate according to 1975 rules, you know, in the United States, you know, they're not going to be able to do it. They're not going to be able to hack it. They're not going to be able to actually enter and take advantage of this global economy. You cannot allow for slave wages to be paid in the apparel industry. It's not acceptable. It can't be sustained. You, you're saying, well, slavery is okay. Well, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm well, saying that's is that it. it. What I'm saying is that, you know, you eventually have... the world said, no apartheid, not gonna have it. They've gotta say no wages that are below a certain level. That's it. If you're gonna play the manufacturing game, you gotta pay even a buck an hour. We'll go a dollar an hour. Okay, but four times. But, okay, but Doug, okay. okay, but Doug, you're talking about you're talking about safety nets, and that's fair enough. Uh, okay, but mm -hmm. here's the thing: if you're gonna do that, but then you don't also have global redistribution. Okay, this because, is global redistribution. Well, but if you're, if you're pricing folks out of being on the bottom rungs of the economic ladder, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. you're. It's, 
sub-Saharan Africa, these countries that aren't even there yet. You know, they're not even where Cambodia is yet. They're not even where mm. Vietnam is yet. And if you're saying that, look, you know, it's slave labor, we're not going to let you do it. But then to them, you know, I'm in the Kalahari Desert, you know, okay, otherwise I'm wandering around, you know, hey, doing but you don't let me do it. I mean, I can't hire you. If I want, yeah. if I want to pay you six fifty an hour, which is what you're, but you're not going to, you're not going okay. <laughs> but you're not going to do it for fun. No, you know, but you're, you're not yeah. going to take the job at six fifty. Yeah. No, you will take the job. You know how many young people would say, "Sure, I'll be your, I'll be your assistant for seven dollars yeah. an hour." I want to be Dove Charney's assistant for seven dollars an hour, but I can't hire you at seven dollars an hour. I got to pay you eight. You're a California worker. Yeah. I can't label you as an intern. They said in California, no more interns. You heard about this thing? You have to be, an internship has to be for real credit. You can't, yeah. uh, for school credit. You can't just call them an intern. It's a labor violation. Uh, you know, according to Sacramento, you're not allowed to do it. Okay, so you said, I just want to be your intern. You don't even pay me. Sorry, you can't work <laughs> It as took hundreds intern. of years for California to get to, to get to that place. I'm just saying, yeah. there's certain minimum standards we have, and you know what? There's more billionaires in California than anywhere else, okay? Life didn't is, happen overnight. Is, they didn't. They didn't get yeah. from the Kalahari Desert. They didn't get from Senegal yeah, they didn't get to California. Yeah, but California is. You know. California is a leader in terms of wage and hour laws. Okay, you have the eight-hour workday in California. You have so many uh, employee-favored laws there. Yeah. Yet California is prosperous. I mean, you know. Uh, well, not everyone would agree with you there. Uh, I mean, I yeah, think yeah, yeah, You know, kind of they're 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 yeah. bleeding talent. They're bleeding. Yeah. But okay. ask them at Google or Yahoo or all these big kinds to go over to Palo Alto and drive through. Well, yeah, town but you know, but like every single employee <laughs> of Apple is generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, right? Yeah. Every every uh, employee you know who's working in that factory at Rana Plaza in Bangladesh, they are not generating, you know. Over half a million dollars in revenue. Okay, actually they so, are. They're they're generating a lot of revenue. What I'm trying worker, to what I'm saying is that if it's you're going at a to the like malls. Yeah. It's going to look. The, the, what's happening in my industry because I have to compete yeah. to hire all these people. Okay, the administrative employees in the apparel industry are making six figure salaries and beyond. Okay, the malls. Okay, right now there's a big thing going on in Las Vegas. It's the mall. They have like, you know, the, 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 I think it's called the ICSC. It's where yeah. all the mall owners are. They're taking out one of my guys to dinner right now. Let's go for it. Let's go to Morton's. Okay? <laughs> everybody's fat and happy. Or everybody's fat and happy yeah. in retail and in, and in the real estate industry that's supporting the retail industry. All the agents are happy. Everybody's feeling great. By the way, they had a nice little whorehouse, I heard, in the building, okay, where the, they, the, they were doing drugs. Cocaine, yeah. all kinds of things they talked about was going on on the ground floor, okay, below where all the workers were. So it's a little bit insane to think that we can't sell it. We've had a disaster here, okay. What would they have to pay, okay? What would they have to pay if this disaster took place in the United States? How many billion dollars would they have to pay out a building? Imagine the American apparel building falls down, okay? I mean, <laughs> what am I gonna have to pay? What is gonna be left over for me? Okay, yeah. I mean, come on. You know, the least they could do is tr start to set minimum. We're not going to buy any apparel in Bangladesh unless we're paying so much money. We're going to put a clause in every purchase order that allows it. If there's a, there's a human hardship uh, involved in us executing this order, we want a hearing before the a an H and M advisory yeah. board to see if we can but, get an extension or an industry sponsored advisory. But it's board. also true. No one it's also there. true that you're a successful guy. Okay, yeah, you've done yeah. a lot of things. You've built a you've built a substantial 
enduring business, okay? So, you know, if you're gonna take out an insurance policy on your life, you know, you're gonna be able to take out a much bigger one than a guy who, uh, you know, uh, has led a lackadaisical life, hasn't amounted to much, you know? I mean, it's just kind of a, you know, in that crude sense, yeah, that, neither, that neither of us <laughs> is comfortable with, yeah. there is a crude sense I don't like it, you don't like it, but there's a crude sense in which your life is quote unquote worth yeah. more. Well, how okay? much is, how, what's the minimum value of life today in the well, world? That's a, we have that's to a, have a minimum value. Yeah, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deeply uncomfortable and problematic idea, and you're right, and you've taken it. How much money you've, should the retailers pay yeah. for each life in Bangladesh? I was thinking about it today. What's your answer? Well, look, my answer is whatever is gonna get that country out of the poverty trap it's in. And that means that, you know, No, but I, what, okay. Your mother got killed yeah. in the collapsed building. You now have standing to sue them in the United States court. I'm not saying you do, yeah. but you might. But let's say you walk in you to, to a New York a New York City courtroom. What kind of judgment do you think you're entitled to? I, I'm sure millions. Yeah, well, what are they going to get? Here, well, they're, they're, they're not going to. They're not going to get. They're going to get barely anything. But here's what you're saying, Dove, is that the world is unfair, and I'm no not one disputes that. The world's that. unfair. Well, but here's, here's I think that the, I think that these retailers need their ass out. Okay, so them. okay, and so, that's going to force them to think a little bit. You and I both grew up. We were both born in North America. Okay, that yeah. doesn't make you a better human being than someone who was born in Mexico Bullshit or Dominican. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. It doesn't make you a better doesn't. human being. No, it doesn't. Yeah, but. The sad fact is that simply by virtue of being born in Canada or the United States, your life is treated as more valuable. And why is that? It's because for hundreds of years, this has been a developed, affluent society, and that we benefit from that inheritance. And the thing is that, you know, if there are countries, going back to this time travel idea, if there's a country that's in 1850 or 1750, you know, they don't have the benefit of that inheritance. I'm saying, and they're trying to get on the bottom all, rungs of the ladder. We're all in 2012. Yeah. Okay, number okay. one. Number two, okay, I don't know. It's not, when you go there, it's not, the clock doesn't suddenly say 1850. <laughs> Okay, we're in 2012. There's th these are international companies. Are we're in 2013? <laughs> What's the matter with me? Okay, we're in 2012. Time travel. Time travel so, is okay. happening right before our eyes. Right. Okay. So yeah, with me, I'm always a year back. Okay. Anyway, so we're in 2014. Slow 13. Yeah. Right. We're in 2013. Yeah. These guys had a building fall. Their contracts were in there. They, 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 this is not the first industrial accident. This yeah. is like the, the this is the second one. And then a week later, there was like another one. But with look, the people. wages are higher there now than they were five look, years ago, right? I they're, gotta tell you something. Yeah, okay, okay. They've gotta pay. If they're gonna make clothes and sell them to rich people in in, in Toronto and London and New York, yeah. they better get their act together, or they're 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 engaging in death trap manufacturing. Period. Okay? Death trap manufacturing. It's going on. Loblaws is a major operator. What okay? about my liberty? What about my liberty to work in the factory? I'm in the Kalahari Desert and I'm like, you know, it sucks uh, being a herder. You know, kind of, there's a drought. Mm -hmm. This stinks. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what about my liberty to work in the factory for the lower I wage? I mean, you're going to get screwed hard enough pay, getting paid a buck or two an hour. I mean, 20 cents is too hard of screwing. We shouldn't even allow it. Just like I'm not allowed to hire you as an intern yeah. in California, even if you want to be hired. There's, I'm sure there's a, there's, there's a young kid there. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be an intern, okay? And I couldn't be, I wanted to be an intern at the LA Weekly, but I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's too bad. You're not gonna get to be an intern unless okay. they pony up eight dollars okay, so an hour. We, so, okay, so we know. Okay, so I have a sense. I have a sense of how you're looking at this, and, and it makes. I'm sense talking about the minimum. I'm talking I, about free, I, free liberty, 
Freedom, you know, commercial freedom for everyone, but with a basic no slavery okay, allowed. I, I want to. So now I want to talk to you about. Tell me about where you want American Apparel to go next. Okay. So you know, are you thinking that you guys have the right model? H and M has the wrong model because it's, as you say, built on slavery. So what you're saying is that we have the right model, and then, and is that why you think you guys are going to succeed and flourish because you're doing the right thing, and consumers are going to reward you for well, doing I, the right thing? Well, we've already. If I had a group of ten MBA students from Harvard yeah. University over here, and we were going over. I've already broken the sweatshop paradigm. Now, because I have enough, I mean, you have to have an imagination and scale American Apparel. I'm only yeah. did $617 million last year, and you have to imagine, well, if the company does a billion dollars and you scale everything, and each door does about 20% more, and you know, the internet business doubles, and you figure that we could probably, you know, probably get three, 500 basis points out of our margin once we scale the business, what does the profitability look like? It looks like they did break the sound barriers as far as not having to rely on slave wages to assemble, okay? So we've already accomplished that, but for the world to see it, we've gotta really, boom, I gotta, I gotta make a certain level. So I is that your mission right now? Is my that your, mission, your mission is to, make is to sure demonstrate that you can yeah, succeed without mission, relying on Right, that. my yeah. mission, well, I am already have demonstrated in my point of view, if you carefully dissect my, it's, you know, it's a little bit foggy and there's hair on the story, but if you carefully dissect my financial statements, I've landed the plane. Now I gotta scale it. I gotta take it from $617 million to 1,000 million approximately at about 1,000 or $1,100 million, which is 1 billion to $1.2 billion. The thing starts to start, the tr it starts to really make sense. So if I scale it, and how do I scale it? It means I've gotta do, I have a store over here in Williamsburg, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta sell about 20% more per store, which is about a grand a day, okay? Per store worldwide, every store, every day, 365, it's gotta go up a grand a store. Then I've gotta double my internet business, okay? I'm doing about 50, 60, 70 million on the internet, I gotta double it, okay? Then I gotta bring up my margin, four or 5%, that's like $1.50 a, a piece, either, you know, the, 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 whether lower some costs or raise some selling, whatever. And this company will be a, worth a multiple billion dollars. And I'll be able to say, boom, we did it without, we leveraged art, design, technology, marketing, what have you. Are okay? machines part of the story? Uh, are more machines in the factory kind of relying more heavily on, I mean. No, but we've automated our distributions in yeah. it. Which so far has been a disaster the first five weeks in, but you know, it should get better, okay? Um, yeah, that's the way it goes when you automate. You know, there are all kinds of, we'll continuously automate over, over the next 25 years. But when I hit 80 years old, I want to say it was an avant-garde thing because he didn't, the boy didn't rely on slave wages to get it done. And maybe, you know, maybe it wasn't as glamorous, you know, I wasn't over there at the, you know, in the helicopter or anything, you know, uh, or I didn't have, you know, the private, private, private jumbo jet or whatever, but I got it done. Have you always felt this strongly about this? Because you know, it seems when you were first talking, you were saying, "Look, look, we cared about the quality. We had the better T-shirt." That's well, why I've been in and out of it. it. Yeah, you know, you so on it, yeah. some days I'm like you. I'm a, I'm, 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 I'm lover to leave it. You know, competitive. But on other days, there's a little bit of compassion. You know, so I bark and then I hug and then I think and I love and I bark and I. You know, it's yeah. It's like a, I'm like a dog. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> It's a, you know, I mean, it's a, I'm a loving dog, so but I'm competitive. So what did you think when you heard that the factory collapsed in Bangladesh? What did you, what was your immediate reaction when you heard that? I mean, because it sounds to me as though, you know, uh, you I was, really. I was, I was, I was very sad for those people, because I know what it is to work on a sewing machine. Not only did my grandmother work on a sewing machine, but I know I have people that work for me that are on a sewing machine. 
So I know it's serious work. It's sweating labor for 20 cents an hour. It's a shame. It's an embarrassment. And that, that they didn't even keep a proper building. You know, I know they got screwed. I know they got screwed by the relentless pursuit of low cost in my industry. Okay? You could have a great ad campaign could promote. We know it in the fragrance industry that, you know, a great ad campaign from a crap ad campaign makes all the difference. They could put the money into marketing. They could put the money, they, they, they could get the value out of this differently. They don't have to screw a 26-year-old woman in Bangladesh to get it done. It's too hard, man. They went too far. And it just, I was sad for the, like, the lives. I was hoping, okay, I heard 100 people. Shit, that's real bad, 100 people. But then it went to 200. I was like, oh my God, 200. 300, 400, then I have 700, then 8, 1,100 people. I, I, think, I think the CEOs of the top 50 apparel companies should be coming together and have a talk about it, you know? 1,100 people? I mean, only 3,000 people got hit in the World Trade Center, and we talk about it every day in the United States. It's like, you know, when you see the flag on the subway, you think about that. You know, when you see the flag on a Greyhound bus, when you go to the airport, you feel it. Okay, you feel September 11th. This is a September 11th, I think, for, for um, the apparel industry and for the working people of apparel. I mean, we've had the, the tri we still talk about a fire. I think it's the triangle, what's it called? Yeah, the triangle shirtwaist. The, the yeah. shirt. So now we're in 2013, it's 100 years later. This is, that, that changed the industry. And why can't they now pledge to, to, to have, have, have mechanisms for, for extensions, okay? They, they have to be, there has to be mechanisms for extensions on short-term contracts in the apparel industry, and there has to be a minimum wage set. Okay, I want to ask you, um, so there are going to be some young people watching this, young people who, um, you know, buy a lot of fast fashion. It's an important part of their life. It's an important part of their self-expression, mm -hmm. their creativity. What's your message to them? You know, person who is buying clothes from these folks uh, who are relying on workers in the developing world earning very, very low wages, uh, sometimes potentially in unsafe conditions. What's your message to that, that 15-year-old, that 25-year-old, uh, you know, who is buying that bikini for $4.99, who is buying, what's your message to them? One, nothing's black and white. Don't take anything I've said as truth. Don't take anything that you said as truth. Don't, you know, but open your mind and think about where things are coming from. And also think about how you want to construct your own life and what impact you might want to make when you own your own business or work in another company. And, how, and, and, and I think what's most exciting about being a young person today is try to construct a business or try and get involved with business activities or commercial activities that, that whereby everyone touched by the business process has a positive experience. That's Deming. The There's a business philosopher yeah. by the name of Deming. Is it Arthur Deming? I forgot uh, the first name. Uh, I thought it was William, but he was loved in Japan. I yeah, know. they loved him in continuous Japan. Continuous improvement. Yeah, yeah, continuous improvement. And one of the things he says, forget about the bottom line sometimes. Just focus on making sure that everyone touched by the business process has a positive experience. And that those are the things you want to buy into. Those are the things you want to... Those are, that's the kind of energy you want to collaborate with and focus on that. Nothing's black and white, and it doesn't mean don't shop at H&M. That's not the story, okay? It doesn't mean come shop to American Apparel because I'd be lying to you, okay? <laughs> By, but, but be aware of, of who you are and what you're doing and, 
and how you can contribute to life and just keep an open mind. When you were 15 years old and you were hustling and you were moving uh, huge suitcases full of Hanes t-shirts mm -hmm. uh, on the Amtrak to Montreal, uh, <laughs> what would you have made of where you are right now and what you're doing right now? Do you think that the 15-year-old Dove would have been proud of the, uh, the Dove now? I'm the CEO of American Apparel. I don't know, I'm, this, I, I'm linked, I'm still 15. Right now, I don't know. I, it's still, it's, I, I don't, I don't know. It's the same guy. Yeah. You know, I can't. Even, what I think of him, it's me. I mean, <laughs> I, I knew I was going to be something like like I am now. I was as confident then as I, I was a little more confident. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little more confident then than I am now. But you know what? I knew the world was mine. That's it. When I was on that train. I knew I was taking over, you know, I, and I loved crossing the U.S.-Canadian border because it's a, I just something, I, I remember when the trees would, would go from maples to willows or willows to maples, so the trees are slightly different. Um, just the whole, when the products change, the Henry, they don't have, you know, the O. Henry bar in the States is, O. Henry's are much better in Canada, ask, ask all the boys over here. <laughs> I just, there's something, I, lo I, I, I just, I love the American, North American landscape, and America's my country. I felt that way even before I had a U.S. passport. I always felt America was mine, you know, and Canada is mine, but I really think the world is, is ours. It's mine and it's yours, and I, I just, I, I believe in humanity. I believe that it, where there's continuous improvement in how we operate as human beings, and there should be, there should be minimum standards in the playing field of business. That I support. Minimum, little, 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 you know, like a minimum wage, but otherwise it's for each man on his own. You know, I believe that we're all employees at will and love it or leave it, take it or, take it or shove it, you know. I mean, you don't like the job, take a hike. Like, I'm into that kind of American, you know, can-do spirit. Take the job, do it, or, you know, get another job. But I don't, I think when it comes to the, to the lowest level, there's the minimum, the minimum, 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 to the poorest of the poor, I mean, Big corporations have to pay at least a little, you know, just take care of the little man. Just, you know, the, the most vulnerable have to be protected. These people in Bangladesh are vulnerable and someone has to speak for them and I think that uh, yeah, they deserve something better than they're getting. Yeah. Thanks very much. All right. <laughs>